0: Sweden in Transition, the podcast that meets change makers in Sweden. I am Sonia Lehmann and today I meet Joachim Levin. Joachim is the CEO of Nudie Jeans, a denim brand that has won many awards in the field of sustainability since it was created in 2001 by Maria Eriksson. The fashion industry accounts for about 10% of global carbon emission and nearly 20% of wastewater. Production has doubled over the past 15 to 20 years due to constant change of collections and cheap price. As a result, 40% of our wardrobe is rarely or never worn. But in this conversation, we will see that it is possible to challenge this fast fashion model. So welcome Joachim. Hi. Thank you. This podcast is called Sweden in Transition. What do you put behind this notion of transition? And what's your outlook on the times we're going through right now?
1: (laughs) Strange times. I try to stay quite positive and quite pragmatic in general. If we're talking about business and what we're doing with Nudi, I'd say I'm quite positive in many ways. You can just do what you do and try to do your best. Try not to worry too much about things. It's not going to help you anyway. The world is facing a lot of problems at the moment. And some of them have to be deal dealt much better than they are at the moment if we're not to end up in a very problematic place.
0: So you're speaking about climate, I guess?
1: Yes, of course. Yeah, there's a lot of other things as well. You can discuss that's problematic at the moment also. But I mean, let's focus on the environment and the climate change I'd say
0: so before we speak about Udi I'd like to know more about you and how you came to do what you do today and be
1: conscious and, and interested in those subjects yep I'm Joachim Levine. I'm 47 years old now. (laughs) I'm from a little small town, 45 minutes outside of Gothenburg. My background is actually mainly from music. I used to play drums in various hardcore punk rock, indie rock bands professionally more or less for about 10 years before we started this. At the same time, for some strange reason, I ended up studying financial economics. Even today, I have serious problems understanding why I did it. But uh, I learned some really interesting things. Even more, I guess, I came to realize what I didn't agree upon. At that time, in the 90s, when you went to business school, it was still very much influenced by neoliberalism, Milton Friedman, for instance. I'm always coming back to his classic statement that the business of business is business. A company should mainly focus on making money, creating shareholder value. That's the sole purpose of a company. Yeah, It's also some kind of theoretical background to not give a fuck. <laughs> so in many ways, I was coming from some kind of left-wing movement before. got very fed up with that. And I got very fed up with business school and that way of looking at the world as well, of the music industry as well. So... Me and Maria had been living together for a number of years. She was working at that point at Lee in Brussels as a design manager for Europe. We sort of both wanted to do something else. We shared this love for denim. For Maria, it was very much starting as a very deep love for materials. Denim in particular, of course, been working with it for many, many years. For me, it was very much doing stuff together with other people and being controlled. We never had any like dreams or hopes of becoming a company. We ended up if we could like do one one and a half million euro turnover, have one or two employees, that would create a fantastic like foundation for our private lives. It turned out to be something different.
0: So, what was the original intention of needy Jeans? What do you stand for?
1: We wanted to create a company where we actually cared a bit. Who is making our clothes? Under what circumstances can we sleep at night? Are we treating other people as we want to be treated ourselves? Are we doing this respectfully, basically? That translated into having very few suppliers, working very transparent with them. Prices ended up where prices ended up, more or less. We wanted to make a certain kind of product. Maria has always been super product driven. She wanted to be able to work with those kind of fabrics quality suppliers that for a number of reasons were not possible to work with in a big organization where price points, volume targets, etc. has to be met. So she went bananas <laughs> and did the product she wanted.
0: The fashion industry is symbolic of our wicked system, in a way. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, if you had to summarise, what do you think is wrong with the way we produce and consume fashion today?
1: Most of it, I would say. From day one, there's like this manifesto of philosophy that Omaria wrote. It addresses these kind of questions. We were very, very anti-fashion in that sense. Fast fashion of fashion, I mean, it's totally driven by newness. It's not about creating something lasting. It's not about fulfilling any real needs apart from narcissistic needs. We wanted to sort of create something that was long lasting so in denim it's it's an everyday garment. The way we choose to work with it was mainly working with dry or unwashed denim, which was kind of rare at that point when we started there were a few people doing it, of course, Levi's had a few few styles and there was evisu and a few others from japan but this was marginal niche things so nudity from day one has also been aesthetically sort of a celebration of aging which is also kind of contradictory when it comes to fashion where it's always being young and, and and everything so actually we're a clothing fashion company who's puts aging on a pedestal, which is kind of also the other way around. It's one of those few materials that actually gets more and more beautiful and more personal the longer you wear them. That also happens to be generally a quite sustainable way of of dressing. Starting point one that we actually made, we're focused on. on an everyday product you're supposed to wear and wear and wear and repair, which is addressing the biggest problem in the fashion industry. As
0: you were saying, yeah. you wanted to sleep at night. So there is also mm-hmm. very much a concern on the production side. What are you doing differently in terms of production?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I'm not super aware of what everybody else is doing. And jeans has always been a bit of an inwards-looking company. We're not actually trying to win like a popularity contest. Uh, we're trying to do what we personally feel is beautiful, sustainable, responsible, respectful, etc. All of those things. We're just trying to do our best and it's very much purpose-driven. But I mean, looking back in the rear view mirror, it's very, very easy to see how we sort of created the foundation to being able to work with all of these questions in a structured way. The choice of suppliers is super important. We work with one supplier on the denims in Italy and one in Portugal when it comes to knitwears And as I said, Italy and Portugal, which is inside the EU, it's quite a high standard. It's the same laws and regulations that apply here in Sweden. By limiting this to just a few product groups, very few suppliers, very informal in many ways, but also very trust-driven, and but, but also transparent, I would say, not trying to come up with the cheapest product available at all, actually. We built a very good starting point. We are all about super long relations, and you need to be, if you are, to address these kind of questions, because it takes time. It's all built around cooperation.
0: When you look at the environmental impact of genes, I think there is the cotton and then there is the water consumption throughout the life cycle. You source 100% organic cotton, I think? Yes. Do you have specific requirements regarding cotton beyond that?
1: Yes, there are certain regions that are no-no, of course. I mean, mainly we are using Turkish and Indian cotton we just got involved in a new monitoring system to be able to the workers on the cotton fields has a sort of a direct link where they can report what's happening on the cotton fields so we get a little bit more transparency into what's happening there we visit the places of course but this is hard to get 100 percent control of exact what's going on of course but we are trying, but I, I don't...
0: Yeah, so what's at stake with cotton is the environmental footprint, but also the working conditions.
1: Yes, of course. This is what's supposed to address potential shy labour.
0: You spoke about the choice you made to have dried jeans. It's mm-hmm. because it's not washed in the production process.
1: I mean, a big part of our collection is pre-washed jeans as well. Most consumers want that. We are promoting dry bedrooms very hard. It's not necessarily just washed or dry denim. It's also how you do it, of course. The laundries are one of the most important parts in the chain to have control over. Do they have closed loop systems? Do they clean the water? We have very high standards when it comes to this. The water consumption doesn't have to be that huge. It is generally because it's not done like this all over the world, but if done correctly, it's not as a huge problem as, as it might sound water in general is a problem of course it's a huge problem in growing the cotton as well
0: and there is also this recommendation that uh, we shouldn't actually wash our jeans <laughs> or we should wash it every six months
1: that's something that we promote people generally don't wear their clothes they wash them too often the consumer face of the textiles is one big problem this is also related to more aesthetic view on it, which is how indigo fades and how the denim reacts when it's first in contact with water since it's blue on the outside, white on the inside. The first time you wash a pair of dry jeans, that's where sort of the magic happens. So the longer you wear them before your first wash, it's going to affect how they look afterwards. And you only have one shot, the more. Contrast the longer you have to wait before you wash them the first time. So, this is both aesthetically and environmentally a good way how to treat your denims. We think it's a little bit like the repair service, which is something that I'm very proud of and it's been very successful in many ways, prolonging the life of an existing product. That's probably the most sustainable thing you can do. And we don't really care whether people use a repair service as a sustainability statement or it's just the fact that if you wear your jeans for a very long time, they're going to eventually break. <laughs> so in, in many ways, it's a service thing as well. So two examples of how we are aesthetics and service meets sustainability quite naturally. The customer, just by using the service, is actually acting in a more sustainable way, whether they care or not. It doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah, the, the important thing is the result. But Exactly. That means that if I buy a nudie jeans, I can in 10 years, in five years, whenever I can come back in the shop and I can leave the jeans to you and you repair it for free or?
1: Yes, we've been doing that now for several years. I think we were at 60,000 pairs of jeans something a year. It's growing all the time as we open more stores, since it's done in our stores, the repair shops. It's free and uh, as long as it's a pair of new jeans, you don't need a receipt or anything. It doesn't really matter where you bought them. So, yep, that's how it works.
0: You say 60,000 pairs of jeans, that's the amount you repair every year? uh,
1: Yes, the latest number.
0: Wow, that's Mm -hmm. huge. So people are really using that service.
1: Oh, yeah, they are. Yes, they are. The little store here next to the office, they are repairing a bit more than 100 pairs a week
0: yeah you have also rebirth what is that it's
1: the rebirth it's actually in the third step i mean we have the repair service then we have what we call the reuse which is second hand you also have the opportunity to drop off your old pair of jeans and get a 20 percent discount instead of a new pair what happens after that is that if they're good enough we wash them fix them up and sell them as reuse uh, second hand if that's not possible we either use the garment as patching material the repair service, or one of our suppliers is able to use it in creating new fabrics as recycled cotton. This is something that are growing because a big part of our denim today is not 100% cotton because the trend the last 10 years has been that everything is supposed to be stretched. It's been quite hard to recycle it since it's plastic inside. They have a solution for that now. So we now can start using the huge pile of old jeans with stretch that we have lying around in in the warehouse. Our intention is to ramp this up. We have a new project in Tunisia and the other project, the earlier one, is in Turkey, where we also have one of our biggest denim suppliers Because it doesn't really make sense to to ship this around, we need to have one solution where the production is happening. We're aiming at doing blends with 20% something that recycled. At the moment, we don't want to go too high with the recycled cotton because the fiber is shorter and it might affect the quality of the garment too much. The other big project with materials is actually looking at alternative fibers for denims. Trying to use wood or something like that because... uh, in the end, cotton is not a great material, but it's the cornerstone in denim. So in the end, we're a denim brand. We need to come up with material mixes. It still feels the way it should and looks the way it should. We're moving forward in that as well. So it's a lot of small projects all the time.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of R&D. But just to come back to the circular initiative, the only issue with that is that you end up with a pair of jeans here in in Sweden or in the UK, and then you have to bring them back to Tunisia and get them upcycled and then back mm-hmm. to the stores.
1: Yeah, I mean the best thing we can do is actually, of course, try to keep them as jeans, and that's what we're trying to do. At the, at the, the and that's that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the rebirth is when we're doing upcycling of it, the reuse when we're selling them secondhand, and the secondhand part of it is what we're focusing on. As priority one, of course. So the jeans that comes into the stores as trade-ins are priority one is to fix them up and sell them again in the store.
0: Now I want to speak about more the social side of sustainability, because you've, you've got a lot of initiative on that front as well. Can you tell us about Fair Wear Foundation?
1: Fairware Foundation is the organization that we've chosen to cooperate with. They give support and they do third party evaluations and things like that, which gives a lot of more credibility to what we're doing. I'm not sure if they're as important for us as for a few others, since we are quite aware of what we're supposed to do anyways. But it's always good to have someone keeping an eye on you. (laughs) You've got
0: your in-house program, I think, called Living Wage.
1: The Living Wage program is something that we are doing at the production facilities in India at the moment. We're rolling it out to another supplier, hopefully in Turkey as well. This is mainly us trying to address the question that the minimum wages and the wages actually being paid out isn't really corresponding to the living wage needed to make a decent living. This is also something that a lot of people from the business say can't be done. So we just tried it. It's very hands-on. So in corporations with the Fairway Foundation and other NGOs, what is a reasonable living wage in India? And we are paying our part of what is missing. So it's not that we are paying everything so everyone gets a living wage if all the other customers at that factory would have been doing the same. We would have ended up that way. We are trying to get others involved in it. I think there are a few others now. It's an important project. It's also about showing that things can be done, actually, if you just address them.
0: And what's the difference between that and fair trade?
1: Fair trade is all about raw materials, how the material is produced, and then what circumstances farmers, in this case, are operating.
0: So you're tackling the second step with the factory?
1: What we can. The problem with fair trade is that the consumer, sometimes I feel, is can be misled to believing that something that's fair trade certified necessarily means that's, that this product is made on fair conditions. It doesn't mean that. It just means that the raw materials have been made according to the fair trade standards. The product itself could be soon washed under terrible circumstances. That's kind of confusing, I think. As soon as you dig into these questions, it's not black and white, it's all (laughs) grey.
0: Part of the brand's identity is about transparency and communication on the Facebook page. You're trying Mm -hmm. to do a lot of videos to clarify some of those points.
1: We're trying to do it in a more simplified way. Sustainability can be quite heavy, it's very fact oriented, it's also quite political, it could be very depressing, and we're trying to put focus on these issues, but not making it too heavy. I mean, educate our users and consumers a little bit about why we prefer this, how this works. Many people have, it's going to be consumer going to change this. I don't believe it's going to be that way. It can't be really. I mean, not really realistic to think of that. Everybody is supposed to sort of dig through our entire sustainability part on, on the website, which is quite heavy. Just to make
0: an informed decision. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, I agree. I think it's the brands who need to do the filter and nudge people into the right product.
1: Running a company, very, very simple. There are a lot of things in your personal life and how you live your daily life. That's legal, but you still don't do it. I mean you have some kind of moral compass. Who you want to be, how you want to live your life. What kind of person do you actually want to be? I don't seriously understand why the same thing shouldn't apply to a company.
0: It might be easier with smaller entities because you keep the leadership. You yes. clearly identify who is behind the company and the brand. When it becomes too big, then the responsibility is kind of diluted. <laughs>
1: Small companies can serve as inspiration. I see us as a very small company. I mean, we can't change the world. We could do our little part, explore ways of addressing some of the problems involved in the industry we're in. But the ones who really can make change are the big ones. They can seriously make an impact in people's daily life and environmental issues.
0: You think the industry is moving because we hear a lot of initiative around the fashion for good and the industry getting organized. What's your feeling? What's right. happening?
1: Looking at the climate change discussion, it needs to be a little bit more criticism of the system in general and not all these Everyone that's doing something is, of course, better than doing nothing, if you start there. In the end, if you look at some kind of initiatives that we have taken a public stance in, for instance, better cotton initiative, we don't think is good. It might be less bad, but it's still not good at all. The basic problem with cotton isn't really addressed. Still using way too much chemicals. And it also sort of gives the consumer, from from our opinion, the impression that I'm making a sustainable choice here. It's a little bit, without sounding too arrogant, if, if you're an oil company, the best thing to do at the moment for the planet is not trying to come up with a little bit greener version of diesel. You might instead work on selling some kind of different energy that's sustainable. If you want to stay an oil company, it doesn't really, really matter what kind of initiative you make. You're still unsustainable. And it's a little bit the same thing in the fashion industry with a lot of these initiatives. They're not really addressing the real question. We're not addressing all of them either, of course. That uh, long answer to your question.
0: <laughs> what is the real problem then?
1: I no, mean, it's overconsumption. It's overconsumption and it's that people buy clothes and just throw them away. It's so many stages involved in that production, so much energy, so much labor, so much everything that's been invested into that product. And then use it once and throw it away almost. I mean, the
0: the priorities then is sobriety. And to achieve that is to have a fair price. Because if you buy a a $2 t-shirt, then in your mind, it's disposable.
1: Exactly. You're telling the consumer by pricing it at $2 that this is something that's not that important to look after or take care of. Yeah, exactly. The other big problem in the fashion industry has more to do with what kind of products are you actually developing? Are these products in any way have some kind of long-lasting design features? Both aesthetically or quality wise. I used to be very, very much into secondhand clothing when I was growing up, 80s, 90s. I think it was like 10 years ago when I was traveling, someone wanted to go into a few secondhand stores, and I was like, okay, let's go in and have a look. And it sort of struck me this is strange. This is like a time machine, and not in a good way. It's exactly the same kind of garments hanging here as it did like 1995, exactly the same kind of garments. then it took me like a few minutes then I realized "Mm -hmm, it's very simple what's been made the last 20 years isn't really doesn't work here no one wants to buy it from different reasons it's still the same kind of C60s, 70s coats denim jeans, jacket leather jackets etc, 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 etc things that were made before fast fashion really changed the industry that's the best way to look at it how good is the fashion industry at the moment Judge it by the amount of garments that some other person, for some reason, finds interesting enough to try to resell. How fashionable can we be and still be sustainable? Because on the other hand, we can't do the same kind of product over and over again because we will end up being too boring. Mm
0: It's true across the board. We need to buy less, but better. How do you increase in quality in everything that you do, in everything you
1: buy? Uh, Yeah, and develop and create products that are repairable.
0: So what are your advice for us as consumers?
1: Start with asking yourself, is this something that I will wear? I mean, really wear, or is it just something I'm buying for this one party? If you just ask yourself, a little bit of questions like that. Is there any way that I could sort of get some of my old stuff in shape by repairing? Just think a little bit before you buy something. To be honest, it's not really harder than that. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to buy everything in recycled wool and it's all grey. If you want to have this really crazy jacket for 20 years, I mean, buy it as long as you use it.
0: Your intention is not to grow that fast. It's just to go on with your agenda in a smooth way and limited growth.
1: Yes. The demand for the product when we launched this was overwhelming, I would say. The positive thing is that it enabled us to become a way bigger company and become very financially strong the the problem was that we sort of lost a little bit of the agenda and left a bit a lot of our independence today. We don't work with those kind of more mass market uh, big uh, retailers anymore we don't have anyone really left left in globally. We've built up our own distribution with the repair repair shop and newgenes and we also added quite a lot of small independent stores again. This has, of course, drastically increased our potential to grow, but it had to be done to, for us to be able to get back and have 100% control of what we're doing. And this is something that we haven't talked about yet, which is also, I would say, maybe one of the, uh, might be the biggest thing that we are still 100% privately owned by me, Maria, and Palle, who came in a year later. <laughs> so. Uh, He's like the new guy. It he just he's been 19 years with us instead of 20. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's that we are still 100% independent. With that comes a bit of responsibility as well.
0: I wanted to mention Veja, probably know yes. that brand of sneaker. They've decided mm-hmm. to uh, have no marketing budget or at least no communication budget. What mm-hmm. do you think of that?
1: Uh, we had the same strategy for years. We didn't pay a penny for any kind of marketing or product placement or anything for the first at least 10 years it changed for us when we started shifting this distribution to building our own distribution network we had to market what we're doing today the digital sort of changed that today you're able to communicate straight with the user and it's also very fact-driven we are a quite fact-driven company. And that's the only kind of marketing we pay for and basically do as well. Our marketing budget is tiny, tiny compared to industry standards.
0: I think you had a prize this year.
1: I won Sustainable Leadership Award here in Sweden. I've never won any individual prize before, so it was kind of strange. It's an organization that's giving out this prize every year. It's been doing it for 20 years. Some quite prominent people has received it before me. I felt very honored, to be honest.
0: And Maria just wrote a book, Start Your Own yes. Fucking Brand. What is yes. this book about? I
1: would say it's, it's very much our in many ways, but most of all Maria's version of why we're here. And the title there, Start Your Own Fucking Brand, I was in the actual meeting actually when she said it <laughs> years and years ago. At that time, I'm not going to say who, but it was a very big distributor we had who was doing amazingly well. He was explaining to us what kind of products we needed to add and what kind of products we needed to be much better at. And after a while, Maria sort of got fed up and just told him, you sound like a really, really smart guy and you sound like you really know how to do it. Why don't you start your own fucking brand?
0: <laughs> I often ask if you have a quote before we close. It can be a quote from a song or I don't okay, know. It
1: could be, any, yeah, it's two things that I always come back to. Even if he's fallen a little bit out of grace lately. I've always been a big fan of Morrissey before, Smiths. He has one text that I always come back to regarding our how we look at this company and how we're doing it. It's my own life to wreck my own way. That's a little bit how we choose to approach some things. And when it comes to sort of leadership and how we do things, we actually are best at, I guess, at nudie jeans, which has always been priority one. It's get shit done. Try. it. If you just sit around thinking, feeling, discussing all day, you're not going anywhere. Start doing things. Maybe half of it will end up in the trash bin. In the end, it's about doing stuff. Thank you so and much. You too. <laughs> thank you. Take care. Thanks a lot
0: to Joachim Levine for this conversation, and thank you all for listening. If you like this episode, please put some stars on your podcast app, share it on your favorite social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and send me a message with a comment or an idea for our next guest. Cheers!